Hey, y'all from All Star in Charlotte. Okay, I dropped the hey, y'all in there real thick on purpose. I've had to be super Southern this weekend as the host of the festivities. On this episode, we will have a sit down with Memphis Grizzlies VP of Basketball Operations and legendary former columnist at ESPN.com, John Hollinger, who was here for the All-Star festivities. We'll talk about the Marcus Gasol trade and which team that Hollinger thought was going to end up with Gasol at the deadline. Stay tuned for that. We'll also discuss how trades actually go down behind the scenes and how it isn't just GMs playing around at their computers on the trade machine. I think you'll enjoy the conversation from someone who's been on both sides of the aisle, media, and then team decision maker in his current role. Uh, He used to be reacting to the news, now he's making it. But before we get into that, I want to just give you a little taste of All Star and what people are buzzing about here, both from the uh, executives and just the media and players. Um, Even though this was after the trade deadline, the rumor mill about free agency this summer was in full tilt. Anthony Davis's inclusion of the Celtics on his so-called list, uh, that confirmed a suspicion that I had all along, which is the dude is 25 years old. He has to project where he wants to be in 18 months. Yeah, I don't think he really knows that or what the teams are going to look like in 18 months. Not surprised he has his options open. Um, He said all 29 teams are on the list, the so-called list outside of New Orleans uh, in an interview with NBA TV. And that doesn't surprise me. If you're under 25 years old, just imagine me asking you what you want to do or where you want to be in 18 months or what the world is going to look like in 18 months when Anthony Davis is a free agent. So uh, if you're older than 25, you know what I'm talking about. We knew nothing at 25. So I think Anthony Davis is smart to do that. Uh, And of course, he does this after the trade deadline and after the push to L.A. fell apart. He wants to keep his options open and he doesn't want to villainize anybody out there and antagonize anyone who can help him try to figure out where he wants to be in 2020. So speaking of free agency, another thing people talked about was Kemba Walker. And I got to I got to say, if the trade deadline and All-Star Weekend was swapped and Kemba was able to be both the face of the Hornets franchise hosting All-Star and also able to be moved at the trade deadline, I think Kemba might be in a different uniform. And I'm not talking about Team Giannis. I think it's a, a, a all over the place. Executives were either surprised that Kemba Walker is still a Charlotte Hornet or uh, they knew that like they were cornered here uh, with the All-Star Weekend here in Charlotte. Do you really want to trade that guy where all the jerseys in town are Kemba Walker jerseys uh, right before the Charlotte festivities? That might be a bad look. I'll tell you what also is a bad look. If you're dangling Kemba Walker at the trade deadline, uh, if you're nervous about him being a free agent this summer and your ability to you know max him out and what that looks like in five years, it's going to be bad PR for those talks to be leaked out through the media right ahead of the trade deadline. So I think, you know, talking to some people, they were saying, look at Tobias Harris and what the Clippers did there. They're not hosting the All-Star Weekend. They were doing it last year. And I'm wondering how much of that timing impacted Kemba Walker's status. Tobias Harris, they had a long-term look. They said, look, we don't think he's the number one guy. Uh, We like him as a player. We think he's a great player. Campaigning for his his All-Star inclusion. And they traded him a 26-year-old, 20-point scorer to be a number three or number four. And I think that's the interesting thing about Kemba Walker is how many other teams out there think he's a number one? We know what Kemba Walker as a number one looks like, and it's a lot like a 500 Charlotte Hornets team in the Eastern Conference. If things break well or break right, 
you're going to be in the playoffs and you might be a 48 win team. If things don't break right and it just kind of falls apart around him, you're going to be about 10 games out of the playoff hunt. We know what number one Kemba Walker looks like. And I just wonder if the trade deadline uh, happened after All-Star or if the trade deadline or if the All-Star weekend did not include the Hornets. I think you might see a Tobias Harris trade of Kemba Walker. We know that he could be a number one here in Charlotte and that gets you to 500. But I think he's better suited to be a number three and number four. I don't think he's best suited to be a number two next to LeBron as a consolation prize in the event that they didn't get Anthony Davis either. I think Kemba Walker on a championship team, he's a number three. He's a number four, just like Tobias. Another thing, Kemba Walker, three-point contest. Yeah, the three-point contest is now the marquee event at All-Star. It's not the dunk contest anymore. This is where the league is at. It's a three-pointer league. It's a shooter's league. And yes, I think some of that buzz and some of the hype this year had to do with the Currys being in the competition. But I think the dunk contest is not the main event anymore. Not with these sort of names. If you're going to still be the main event as the last event on Saturday Night All-Star, you got to have some big names. I think the three-point contest had a lot more juice, a lot more interest, and a lot more compelling names and storylines and just a more compelling competition than the dunk contest with these with these guys who in their own, they're NBA players, but they're not household names. And I think if you're not going to have household names, just move it back as the second in the All-Star Saturday events. Speaking of names, you've seen his name all over ESPN in the past. Go follow him at John Hollinger on Twitter. He's our next guest, and just FYI, we taped this on Friday of All-Star Weekend. So without further ado, let's get on with the Haber Show with special guest John Hollinger. And I'm joined now by the esteemed former colleague of ESPN, the national insider columnist that I replaced partially, what, like six years ago, I think it was? Six and a half years ago, yeah. Did, you was, corrected me on that this morning. Yeah, yeah, because you, you were like, oh, it's like five years ago. I was like, no, nah, time flies, man. That's the voice of John Hollinger. He is the executive VP of the Memphis Grizzlies, and he is also um, a Wahoo. Is that fair to say? Is that, yeah. how, is that the noun? Yeah. A UVA the, grad who yeah. rubs yeah. it in my face every time that Wake Forest, my alma mater, and UVA play. So, Except uh, in football. Yeah, we had a pretty good year this year. We're okay. You guys were in the Belk Bowl. We uh, we we actually in played Charlotte. in the Belk Bowl. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like our seventeenth time playing in the Belk Bowl. That's like the the that's ACC like the, the, the barometer yeah. of success for Virginia football. That's it's right. Like, did, you, did you make it to the Belk Bowl? Yeah, it's uh, it's that's kind like of the, the that's like the ceiling. You know, it's really sad. Like our seven programs, and five playing the Belk Bowl. It's like all right. We, we played something. Texas A and M last year uh, here at the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, and mm-hmm. we we barely filled the lower bowl at the Panther Stadium here. Barely. Oh, like we, we're we're fighting the good fight at Wake Forest uh-huh. with four thousand undergrads. Well, yeah, I mean, you only have like eight hundred alumni, right? In the whole country. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I'm one of eighteen, <laughs> yeah. and. Yeah, so we're we're here in Charlotte at All Star Weekend. We just got back from Basketball Without Borders. You were there too. Um, we it was a nice gym. It was good to see the young athletes out there. But really, I, I it's just really cool to host the NBA here in Charlotte uh, as someone who an Atlanta guy. Uh, knowing how big this is for the city of Charlotte, it's pretty cool as me as the host. I feel very. Uh, it's a lot of responsibility as someone who knows coffee very well. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to give you like coffee tips on where to go in Charlotte. Uh, yeah, that'd be helpful. Although I'm just, I'm just about to leave actually. <laughs> so I probably should ask, ask you, uh, sooner. So I just have my fingers crossed for your city that this goes better than the, uh, than the game did, uh, when they held it in Atlanta. 
Yes, yes. We we want to talk about the trade deadline because on my side, it is mad. It's a, it's a madhouse, mm-hmm. and you used to grade every trade at ESPN. One of your jobs was to take every single trade that happens and grade it. And yep. I think you were were you the first to do that, and now everybody does it. Well, I don't know if I was the first to do it, but yeah, I did every single transaction yeah, at the trade deadline, which would be kind of nuts most years. Although there's more activity now than there was when I first started. Because I remember there was one year where literally the only trade on deadline day was Anthony Johnson for a second round pick. <laughs> and that was it. That was the only thing that Wait, happened what was the, the entire day. What, what was the grade? That, that was, like, how do you I, grade that? Like, I, I, I don't know. I did just, you give an A for both yeah, sides? Every, just just like, everyone you know gets what? a B minus. Let's go home. <laughs> Nothing happened, right? So, you know, it's very different now, I think, with the shorter contracts, with more teams trying to position themselves for free agency each year because when, when you have shorter contracts, there you cycle through and become a cap room team more quickly or yes. you can um, players hit more players are in free agency each year. Uh, so there's just more motion and you could see that with how uh, hectic deadline day is. I mean, I mean, we did three trades in the last two hours before the buzzer went on. Well, how does that go down? Like how do you have those trades queued up and then just, we pull the trigger at the last minute or is it like everything's mad at the last two hours and it's just a scramble? Yes and no. So one of them we had teed up for a few days, which was um, the the deal we did with the Clippers. We had been talking to them about it, and you know both sides were kind of like, ah, maybe. And then as we got closer to the buzzer, we're like, okay, like we're actually serious. Like we can do this. <laughs> yeah. Like are you guys in or are you out? Um, and they're like, okay, we're in. And uh, this is the Garrett Temple trade. This is the Garrett Temple and Jamichael Green for Avery Bradley trade. Yes. Um, and then with the Gasol trade, it was weird because we were talking to Toronto. We were talking to a couple other teams. Um, but as you guys probably know, we were pretty heavily in talks with Charlotte. Yes, yes. Um, and if you had held a gun to my head, I would have said he's, that was where he probably was going to end up. And then things changed uh, really in the last 24 hours, and we uh, shifted gears and, and made the deal with Toronto. Um, and that's kind of what set all the other uh, – pieces in motion. We knew there was a chance we would need need the the Clipper deal to generate enough room from the tax. Um, and we ended that's exactly what we ended up needing yeah. it. Um, and then the uh, we made one minor deal at the end that kind of came together in the last goodness gracious, it might have been even the last half hour that uh, Shelvin Mack for uh, Tyler Dorsey trade uh, with Atlanta. Uh, so a biz- busy day. Yeah, very busy. And for me I had to go on air live mm-hmm. at three at three o'clock when Markel Fultz got traded like 10 minutes right before, like maybe 10 seconds before we were on air. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just like, I don't even, I don't even know. I have to do a grade in my head of just like, we're finding out the pick protections, top 20 protected. Yeah. That's, it's, that's where it was always hard trying to write that and not knowing the exact, because a lot of times the, if they're cash considerations and wait, how much does an owner value cash? How do you like weight that stuff in a, in a deal? But those little details yeah. can shift. And was it 75,000 or was it 5 million? You yeah. know, that's, I mean, all that, all that stuff matters. And a lot of times you don't really find that stuff out until later. And that was always the hardest thing about writing those up is when, when picks were involved, you didn't always know, or it wasn't always reported exactly correctly yeah. sometimes, and uh, and that made it more challenging. That that actually, uh, free agency was a little bit the same thing. When you'd go through and write about the free agent deals, you wouldn't always know how much was guaranteed or how much was incentives or, or uh, you know, 
it would be reported as a team option, but it would actually be a non-guaranteed year, which is different. Yeah. And, uh, just little things like that. Well, like this, this has got to be tough for you. Cause you've been with the Grizzlies for, uh, you know, six, six and a half years. Mm-hmm. Marcus all has got to be as, uh, I don't know, intertwined with not just the Grizzlies, but the city itself. I sitting at home is like, I'm putting Marcus all in a trade machine and boom, three team trade. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. For you on the other side, you're like, man, this is, this is different. This is not just going to the trade machine. This is the heart and soul of your team. It was, it was different coming into the office last Friday, certainly. Cause you know, you still see Mike there, but like, there's no Mark, you know, there's no Jamichael who was with his, in his fifth season with yeah. us. So we pulled out of the G league. Um, and, uh, so it was just a different, uh, you know, it's, it's a different feeling when, uh, you know, you deal, uh, four players in one day. That's the but human side part of, the, of it. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. John Hollinger it's part of the business may but, not you know. known that in depth or intimately knowing the human side, the, the human element when he's writing on I'm his job, just a robot. So I have no feelings. <laughs> you so don't have any matter. feelings or whatsoever writing the trade grades, but that <laughs> what, what, um, what is the biggest misconception about being, uh, you know, actually working on these trades versus what the fans outside think how a trade deadline or just the job that you have is like. Mm, probably how many layers there are um, to getting things done as a organization. Like you don't just get to up and do stuff. Like there are, <laughs> there are, you know, there are, you know, there's a general manager and an owner. And, yeah. You know, there are, there are, there are other people who have uh, other stakeholders. There's a, you know, coach involved who maybe you know may or may agents not want are involved. And agents are involved yeah. actually, and they can uh, apply leverage in different situations. So there's just a lot more layers to it than, as you say, just putting the names in the trade machine and and uh, pressing a pressing a button. Was, um, was some of that like we want to do him right, like we want to take care of him, but we also want to get the best deal possible. But we want to make sure Mark is as a as a, a, a face of the franchise for so long. We want to make sure he's in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, you say, I mean, certainly we didn't want to send him off to Siberia or someplace, you know. <laughs> so, um, uh, but you know, I think we had to look out for the best interest of the franchise and and make the deal that was in the best interest. I think that um, that type of thing is probably more of a tiebreaker. I would say, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you had as as much as you want to do that in your heart. You're working your, for the Grizzlies, and yeah. You know, fiduciary responsibilities to the Memphis Grizzlies organization, and so I, you know, we have to make but sure his that player we option, look out for their, those interests. His player option was probably a big part of trade talks. Is like we can't just send them to any player, any place. Like I think that that team is going to be willing to give up more if they think he's going to sign long term. Those aren't decisions for you to make, but it just goes to show you're not just trading Marcus All the player. You're you're trading his contract and what you know, the long-term ramifications of his, his contract status and whether he'll want to re-up next year or whether he signs a long-term deal. So um, what, what is something that people don't know about Marcus Hall that, uh, that you, you've come to love or come to know over the last six years? Probably his toughness, how many injuries he would play through, how many times we would have to when he was hurt, kind of drag him off the court, you know, <laughs> like nobody, you're, you know, yeah. your foot's broken in half. Maybe <laughs> sit, maybe sit this one out tonight, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, you look even like the, um, like some of the charges he takes, like, you know, there are other guys who are kind of good at taking charges and they kind of, they're able to kind of 
take a little nudge in the chest and kind of slide backwards yep. and, and yep. get the call. I mean, Mark's charges are like some of them are like car crashes. <laughs> yeah. You look at them. I mean, they're pretty. Pretty rough, Aaron Baines, like violent events. Aaron Baines as well just does not take a step aside or he doesn't have like an extra pillowy, soft leg charge. He just gets creamed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, I think there's just this like this incredible uh, physical toughness to him that I think uh, has gone uh, underappreciated and has allowed him to play – you know, so many games and so many minutes, even well into his 30s. So a real admirable durability to him that I, that I think doesn't really get written about much. So his he won a Defensive Player of the Year award uh, a few years ago. And really, I feel like it's a perfect person to ask this question. How do you value how – does, how does one with the tools that we have in public arena evaluate defense? Because for, for Marcus Hall, it was almost like, who is the best defensive team in the league and who is the fulcrum of that defense? Oh, it's Marcus Hall. He should be the defensive player of the year. Yeah, and I mean, even then, honestly, we, you know, we had Marcus Hall and Tony Allen, and they were kind of the yin and yang <laughs> yeah. of the whole thing. And the metrics are better, certainly, than they were even five years ago. Um, we, can, we can describe more precisely, I think, with some of the tools we have now, even some of the publicly available tools. But it's still imperfect um it's still not like what is as the precise as we can as we can measure offense just because i think too often you're you're trying to measure the absence of something and that and that gets really hard you're trying to you're trying to measure the easy shots that you take away just by being in the right spot or, mm-hmm. or running back or not making a mistake um and that's a you know a lot of times that's a lot of what defense is it isn't always just a, a dramatic block into the fifth it's row being in the right place at the right time and, and dissuading a shot from happening in the key Ex- yeah exactly you're forcing teams to take the shot they don't want um so there's a lot of subtle elements that go into it um and we're better at measuring it than we were um, because we have a lot of tools now with regression analysis and on court, off court, and whatnot. But it's still there's still there's still a level of art to it. You know, it's it's the the science can't do it all. When you see PER in public in a tweet in an article, what what goes through your head? Like yes, like my my stuff is still out there. For those who don't know, John Hollinger invented developed the player efficiency rating that is as used advanced metric as anything. It was kind of the groundbreaking advanced metric all in one uh, that really stuck. It got on a basketball reference and then it was just boom. Yep. It's, it's now there forever. It is now 23 years later. It's still there. So it's crazy. What do you 23? You invented it 23 years ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, wild. Like just, Jared just Jackson chilling. Jr. is younger than <laughs> is younger than my my some of my stats. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to do that to you. <laughs> oh man, you just crushed me with that. I'd never considered that. Wow. Huh. Yeah. We're, we're, now you see it. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you oh, before fi- your flight. We're fossils, man. But, but what do you think? What goes through your head when you see like PR? It's like ah, oh, that's not really actually a good metric. Ah, oh, that's I should be better. Oh, like. We, we should be doing better. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. What do you think of PER from John Hollinger's yeah, perspective? Uh, you know, I still think of all the, all the weaknesses uh, that it has. And, I mean, we have a lot more information now than we did when I came up with it, too, to, to create better metrics. And I think probably there are some that are out there at this point. But um, it's still, you know, it's still mind-blowing to me that it's, that it's used in the, in the – 
public, I use it still because the public discourse so much because it's just I mean the scale of it is is pretty easy. That's I think, the for best people thing. To comprehend the fifteen um, scale is yeah. the best thing because when shares per forty eight minutes it's point two three four five eight and it doesn't have the the, the same bite mm-hmm. that a fifteen does. But it it's a uh, I think I've asked you this before, but you do have your own all-in-one metric, or you do have a metric that would replace PER behind closed closed doors. That you have a something that you like to look at when you want to see what a player's value is. I actually don't have a single. I don't have a single one go to. I look at three or four things. Huh. Really. So it's components, really. yeah. yeah. Because I, player value is so dependent on role. Uh, well, and I sort of know what the biases are of each of them. So you kind of triangulate from there. And that's, that's what I do currently anyway. Um, <laughs> so get, get back to me in a few yeah. months. I might be doing something different. Who played in minor league baseball? Uh, a, Muggsy Bogues, B, Dale Curry, C, Michael Jordan, or D, all the above? Well, definitely C. So your first two were Muggsy Bogues and Dale Curry. Heavy Charlotte bias on these questions. Hmm. Um, well, you're here, so I'm yeah. giving you one test before you go. Whether let's okay. see if you can pass. I'll give you a grade too. Okay, I'm trying to think. I'm going to say Muggsy Bogues did not. Although I imagine he would have drawn at least 150 walks if he did. Um, <laughs> yes. Is there anyone tougher to strike out than him? Yeah, you wouldn't think so, right? The strike like, zones <laughs> like this. Come big. on, man. Yeah. Um, Secretly, that's why Dustin Pedroia and Jose Altuve are so good. Yes. So what's your answer? Final uh, answer? I'm going to go, you know what? I don't know that Del Curry did, but it wouldn't shock me if he did. I'll go B and C. It is D, all of the above. All of the above. George Shin owned the Gastonia like minor league team. Okay. And one day, Del Curry oh. and Muggsy Bogues played one game for Gastonia, and Muggsy Bogues struck out twice. He was playing second. And Del Curry mm-hmm. struck out four people in minor league baseball as a pitcher wow. in, like, one outing. Think about that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Found this out this week in, in my research for, for the All-Star Week. Uh-huh. So he, he's, like, legit baseball player. I think he played in – So when he pitched, did he just, like, stand perfectly still and launch pitches off his shoulder? <laughs> yes. Like- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what his windup would look like. Or George Shane would be like, hey, can we, like, slow down on that yeah. windup? Yeah. Uh, but, yes, you, you, you did very well on that, on that question given that uh, – that, I mean, Muggsy Bugs, who would have thought? Yeah, I didn't. He, he wow. struck out twice in, in the at-bats, believe it or not. Huh. Uh, John Hollinger, we'll get you out here. But uh, before we do, I did pull up a grade. The Kyle Lowry trade that opened up this spot for Mike Conley. Oh, no. Do you know what you gave that grade? Oh, no. It was a trade to Kyle Lowry to uh, Houston. <laughs> and then Memphis got back uh, Donald Foyle, Mike Wilkes, and a future first-round pick that turned into Damari Carroll, by the way. What grade do you think you gave the Memphis Grizzlies for that? Oh, man. Oh, I probably <laughs> gave him like a D. <laughs> give him a C. I gave a C. I think that's a passing grade. I think that's a passing okay. grade. Okay. All right. But but they ended up getting Damari Carroll, who actually turned out to be a pretty good NBA player. So yeah. that was not a bad Although deal. not for the Grizzlies, unfortunately. It was yeah. much, much later on. But Was he part of the – no, the Hashim to beat – The Hashim to beat trade was also with Houston. That was the one that brought back Batty A. Yep. And that my first, guy. That first year they made the playoffs. Who else was in that trade? My guy, Ish Smith, was in that trade, by the way. Really? Yeah, Ish Smith and Shane Battier coming over from Houston. I don't know 
if you guys – I mean, he's played for just about every team in the league. But Yeah. No, I was not in Memphis for the Ish Smith era. <laughs> Maybe one, people, one day. People still talk glowingly. Yes. You know, every it. team in the NBA speaks glowingly over the Ish Smith era for their NBA <laughs> team. Right? Uh, John Hollinger, thanks so much for joining us here at All-Star Weekend. Uh, Happy can- to be a Haber guest on the Haber show. <laughs> Haber show. Excuse me. Yes. Yes. And you can find him at John Hollinger, some of the wittiest tweets are locked up. We can't access your, your <laughs> zingers, one-liners anymore. But go follow that at John Hollinger, and he is at the Memphis Grizzlies. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, that does it for this episode of the Haber Show podcast. That's John Hollinger. Go follow him at John Hollinger on Twitter. Go follow his work at the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, He is the VP of Basketball Operations, and it will be interesting what happens with Mike Conley this summer. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you like this podcast. If you're at this point, I'm sure you did like it. Please reflect that in the review section of wherever you listen to your podcast. If you don't like it, whatever. Just give it your rating. That's fine, too. I like objective analysis. I like transparency. That's cool, too. All right, so that is it from the All-Star Weekend in Charlotte. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Let's get on with the final stretch of the regular season. We'll be back soon in a couple weeks.